stuff. I invest a significant amount of time in learning because for me, competence um, builds confidence. I think for me, my legacy has to be the people I left behind. It has to be the impact I made. I've counted a failure if my kids hate me. I counted a failure if my wife hates me. I counted a failure if I go into a company and I achieve absolutely every single thing and my team can't stand me. Like I genuinely, like this is something that really gets to me. It's it's not just talk for me. It's like, it's it really gets to me. Um, and I don't, I don't say this so that, you know, like I'm dependent on people's approval. That's not really what I mean. What I mean by this is that I genuinely give everything and I genuinely couldn't have done anything differently because that's the only part I'm in control of. Uh, people still don't like you after you've done that. You did everything. That's absolutely fine for me, right? That's, I'm, I'm cool with that, right? Um, and I think that's, that's the part for me that, that has to be for me that I, I genuinely tried my best to make a difference in the life of everybody I met. Not, not, I don't, I don't subscribe to this idea that, you know, or oh, look after yourself only, you know, this slightly selfish narrative that is going on out there, right? If you have kids, what are you talking about? Like, you look after them first. Welcome to another episode of Stories That Shape Us. My name is Samuel Agwede, and I am your podcast host. In this podcast, we believe everyone has a story worth sharing and we aim to create a treasure trove of stories that can inspire us all. In all our episodes, you'll hear from inspiring individuals that have faced their fears, overcome challenges and found strength. And we hope that by sharing these stories, we can validate the importance of your own journey and inspire you to share your story with the world. So join us on this episode. Hey Dami, thanks for coming on our episode today. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Yourself? Not too bad, actually. Not too bad. I'm pumped about the first episode. But um, how's the week been? So how you say pumped? You go like I'm pumped. <laughs> yes, Put some energy in it. Nah, my week's been good. My week's been good. Can't complain. All right. So I think let's sort of dive straight into into this. Um, we'll start with rapid fire questions. Right. So between five and seven questions, you have five seconds. Right, okay, cool. I'm about to fail this. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just go right, for okay, it. Okay, cool. Question one, what's your favorite book? Oh, oh, this is a good one. Um, hmm. I think Outliers was my favorite that I've read recently by Malcolm Gladwell. Why was your... Why was it your favorite? Because um, it, it gave me a different way to like look at certain things. I hadn't like, considered the perspective of outliers before. Um, especially the you know, when you use the narrative or the explanations he gave when he talked about like the story of David and Goliath and why he was successful and stuff like that. So I kinda like that. Okay. Outliers. What's your favorite food? I don't actually have one, funny enough. Um my wife would argue it's spaghetti. Okay. I don't really have one. <laughs> Favorite holiday destination? Uh, holiday destination for rich people now. <laughs> <laughs> nah, um, probably the most fun I've been to was probably Spain because it was warm. Uh, um, I, I did enjoy uh, the Canary Islands actually, are just generally nice. Okay. Um, if you could have dinner with three inspirational leaders, who would they be for you? Oh, insp- not just anybody, inspirational leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a struggle for me because. 
it's it's really hard for me to see people as inspirational. Like, and I when when I say that, I don't mean that from like a vegan boy. I mean that from like flawless. Like, oh, did they make mistakes? I have so much respect for them. Um, I'd be curious to speak to Nelson Mandela for sure. Um, because I, for me, it's not just the the myth, but the legend of the man himself. When he he made compromises from where he initially started after he came out of prison, and I wanted to understand why. Mm. Um, so that so that that would definitely be one. Um, Barack Obama would o- always be interesting. So Barack Obama was then to understand his journey. Um, and I think Jamie actually, funny enough. Oh, really? um, yeah, 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 yeah. It would be interesting to to sort of understand his journey as well. Um, although his journey is kind of it looks it looks straightforward on paper, but we got to understand if that is in fact the truth. Mm. Um, because I found that when you speak to people, you, you hear another side of the story um, yeah. that you're like, oh, wow, okay, I didn't know any of that. Um, so, yeah. For sure, okay. If you had three apps on your phone, like just three, you, you can go more than three, what apps would they be? Uh, YouTube will be one. Okay. Um, probably Instagram and Google Maps. Okay, so YouTube, Instagram, Google Maps. Okay. Yeah. This is going quite well, actually. I think I should, I should open this yeah. question to be a bit more difficult. <laughs> All right, so um, two more questions and, and we're done with, with this one. Um, the three most influential people in your life? Well, today, uh, probably my mother. Uh, start with her. I'm sure she'll be glad to hear that. Uh, uh, because there's some lessons that she taught me that you, you just is who I am today. Um. So my mom has to be one of them. Um, I think probably my immediate manager as well just now. Um, just the certain things that gets done and he does that he doesn't really realize he's doing. Um, and my kids actually, because they, they kind of provide purpose as well. So it's funny because you don't you tend to see inspiration from like somebody who's older who's been there who understands mm-hmm. everything but actually with my with my kids it reminds me of what's important or they remind me of what's important okay um if your life was a book what would its title be uh <laughs> wow okay that's a tough one uh do you know the words that come to my head? Drama, unserious. <laughs> like, I just like just <laughs> really weird words coming to head right now. Um, actually, I'm not really sure. Um, I know it'll be in a lot of ways it'll be fictional. How so? Um, it, because it it feels like some things that I've been through, some things that have happened, some things that I've seen. I have this, when I think about them, I, I think of it like it feels like an out-of-body experience, like it happened to somebody else, like it's not real. Mm. Um, um, some things that I, I saw firsthand, you know, growing up in Lagos and even here as well. So, yeah, it feels it feels weird. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So, what would that be? You still have any uh, Right, right, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay, I think it's just, just a couple of words, you're giving out-of-body um, experience. I don't know, the... I used to, I used to I actually try to write my story one time, um, and the book was actually meant to be called, um, I think it was meant to be called Life Lessons Through the Eyes of a, or Through the View of a, of a First Generation Immigrant, something like that. It was somewhere along those lines. Um, okay. Um, but I, I stuck with the underdog tales. 
Yeah, because it was meant to be part stories, not. And I, I tried to make it not just my story. It was meant to be about other people's stories that mm. I've collected as I went through life and just along the way. All right, so uh, moving to like the podcast episode itself. Now you are a post-generation immigrant, right? Yeah. Like currently vice president, organization strategy, um, like you lead an employee resource group, like in Scotland. Um, if you could look back on your life, what would you see some of the pivotal moments um have been for you? Oh, I can remember one distinctly. Um, so for me, one of the first ones has to be, um, after my junior high school, I was in SS one. And I was, so basically when I was growing up, I, I started school really early. I think most of us did, right? So I was one of those kids that um, I was like, just, I think I just turned two or just turned three or something when I started school. Um, and by the time I was in, and I wasn't like an exceptionally gifted kid in school as well. So by the time I, I was really young when I was in SS1, I mean, I was in uni, when I was in uni, I was about 16. And by the time I was in uni, um, but I remember in SS1, I was that kid where I used to joke and talk about it like I was the, the Israelite journey, you know, let my people go. You know, the, the kid that the cutoff is 50% and I would get 50.01% and I would just manage to make it to the next grade. Mm. And I remember that in my first um, term, I had gotten like almost straight Fs in like SS1. Like second term, I'd gotten like straight Fs again. And I was like on the verge of repeating. And I remember that like, because I wanted to, my, my mom, was trying to convince me. She was like, oh, come on, do this, you know, pass for me, pass for me. And I was, <laughs> and my father, my father was like, no, don't pass for me. Me, I have my degree, pass, pass for yourself. And then my mom asked me a question, which actually at that point, nobody had ever asked me. So she asked me, what what do you want? Like, what would you take for you to actually pass? And I'd said to her then that, see all these trips you go to the UK and you say you're going for a walk, that I want to go, I want to see it. I want to see what, what's the big deal about this UK? I was, I was young then. And what she said to me was, well, if you can get straight A's, then yeah. And I Just was like, like yeah, yeah. So and I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone had straight F's. You're asking him to get straight A's. Okay. That's, that's, I mean, she didn't like, she didn't aim small. But the funny part for me was that I became motivated and I went and I found le lesson teachers. I went and I, I found out my next door neighbor has a, was a professor in maths. I didn't know that. Uh, and I was failing uh, math badly. Wow. Um, so I went and I, was, I sat with her, convinced her to, you know, give me, give me lessons. Turns out math is really easy. I just needed someone to explain it to you. Um, and I would go speak to like all the different teachers. They would come and meet my mom and say, look, your son has signed up for lessons, obviously there's a bill attached to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are you willing to pay the money? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, she, she paid for the extra lessons. And I had almost straight A's um, when this was done. This was just one term after this. This was just one term after. Um, and I remember going back home to meet my parents. And obviously this time around, the dog didn't eat. No random dog ate my report card when I was on the way home, right? So I remember taking the report card home and showing to her, I was so proud of myself. And, you know, she was obviously excited. And then she asked me a question. She said, um, have you not, like, how does this feel? And I was like, oh, it feels great. She was like, uh, have you not always, like, do you not always want to feel this way? Mm. And I was like, yeah, actually. She was like, there's nothing stopping you. And I remember that that changed everything for me because that was the last time I had failed an exam. Whoa. Um, so, yeah, I remember that moment as one of the big moments that made me think, you know what? I wasn't really born dumb. I could actually do this. I was just lazy. Um, mm. So, yeah. Is that what like um, makes you say your mom was one of like the most? Yeah, absolutely. Because if if 
if I wasn't challenged and I wasn't asked a question, and it, it was a life lesson for me because now I've learned that, and we talk about this even even in bold, right? Like we've learned that if there's nothing in it for the person, mm-hmm. if the person cannot understand what's in it for them, you can talk from now to next year. They're not going to get motivated to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to figure out and help them to understand what's in it for them. Um, what's their gain? What's their benefit? And so that was that was one for me that when I take on a job now, when I take on a task, I start to think, not not from a selfish perspective, mm-hmm. but what is the achievement we're looking, what's the outcome we're looking to get from this? And and that made a difference for me. All right, okay. In, in what um, different ways um, has your upbringing like, shaped you? So this, like, this example is definitely one of yeah. them. So I'm not many people know this. So my dad is half Fulani, half Yoruba. My mom is Edo. My wife is Calabar. <laughs> right? So in Nigeria, that's very rare. Right? That's very rare. Um, uh, my cousins are Igbo. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like we're kind of everywhere, right? Um, I, according to my wife as well, she's like, um, her dad's like half Ghanaian as well. So it's like my kids are kind of, I don't know, West Africa, I suppose. <laughs> Right, um, and what that that did for me was that taught me the importance of religious, uh, sorry, of like that tribalism and all of that is just absolute nonsense. Mm. As well as the fact that my mom's a Catholic and my father's a Muslim, and we weren't actually forced to take on a religion. My middle name is a Muslim middle name, so we weren't forced to take on any particular religion. We're given the freedom in my house. We celebrated everything. We celebrated Christmas. We celebrated all the Muslim fest, like everything, mm. um, Duilia, everything, the whole. And so for us, religion as well, religious tolerance was was something that we were just raised with, mm. and just an understanding of just how different people are. And obviously, I'm from a home of my both my parents studied psychology as well, um, and my sister studied psychology as well. So I'm from a home of most of us studying psychology, um, and it just is part of who we are now. Like just understanding or just knowing that everyone is different, everyone has something else they bring to the table, and. That uniqueness is something to be celebrated. Gotcha. Okay. So, at at what point in this journey did you then move to the UK? Oh, I I was I was a fully grown adult. I was okay. Fully, I okay. was uh, no, I didn't I didn't relocate properly. I mean, I tried to, but they, they caught me. That's a different story. Uh, no, I didn't relocate fully till I was about twenty two, almost okay. twenty two. Yeah. So it's been a while. It's been about. Yeah, it's been a while. Okay. So, what was that journey like for you? Like coming from Nigeria to like a different country. Um, I thought it would be easier than it was because okay. when I moved, um, I'd been to the UK a few times before. I'd been on holiday um, and I'd been to Wales. I, I went to this town in Aberis, in Wales called Aberis, and um, it was a lovely town. It was I had I had an amazing time. I was really young. And in my head, uh, I, I wanted a small town. I wanted an outskirt town. I wanted a town that wasn't like London. Um, and so I picked Aberdeen. Yeah, Aberdeen's not like Aberdeen. <laughs> Right. So um I got to Aberdeen, I was I was shocked by the by the grey colours. Um and the, I mean they call it Granite City for a reason. Um we were one of the few black the first big wave of black folks that came into Aberdeen as well. Um and so we were treated differently, like because we stood out. I mean we, lots of stories of people like pointing in the bus and like, you know, kids oh. not sure about who you are, you know. Um Aberdeen's probably different now, but then it, it wasn't. They hadn't seen many black folks before. Like, it just wasn't a thing that was happening in that town. And it seems funny because we're not talking about 40 years, 50, 60, 100 years ago. We're literally talking about 2007, mm-hmm. right? So, um, yeah. Okay, so 
what culture shocks did you did you send any culture shocks like how was the UK different oh I came prepared like I had <laughs> left Nigeria a year before mentally <laughs> <laughs> so not so much for myself. My wife had a, well, she's my girlfriend at the time. She had a significant culture shock. You know, even the basic stuff. Like, so I, I remember the first day, this is one of the first times she was mad at me, right? So she was like, oh, let's, oh no, I said to her, let's go to the Morrisons down the road. And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, she'll go. And then she wore heels. And I was like, nah, <laughs> you don't need heels. She was like, nah, 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 let's go. She's down Because we don't walk anywhere, right? <laughs> In Lagos, we don't walk anywhere. <laughs> So she was like, ah, nah, she's done. And then she started walking and she started to get really mad. Like, oh, you could have told me. Ah, she was so <laughs> mad. I was like, yeah, we walk here. Like, we walk a lot. Um, and I think the milk as well, like the milk, the fact it wasn't powdered yeah. milk, you know, so we had to go look for powdered milk, start looking for, like, there was a lot of things that I was probably more prepared for that than she was. Um, okay. But yeah, um, I think the other part that probably was a bigger culture shock for me is the politeness as well um mm. and the we we joke about this things uh europeans and uh, british folk in general have a way of being mad at you and you don't know they're mad <laughs> right <laughs> they have this really lovely way of you know you could get in trouble at walking you're like i don't understand did i is that right is that wrong because <laughs> they're so polite with it that you're confused when, it, when this is finished right um so that was the culture shock because in nigeria you don't infer anything you're like yeah my boss told me he's mad because he's mad mm. <laughs> right um so yeah that was a bit of it right yeah. so did you like move to the uk to schooling to work um, I know I moved I moved for my master's degree I, moved for, I did an MBA um, yeah. at the University of Aberdeen that was the whole drive then gotcha um, yeah okay so upon yeah, walk me through like your journey from landing in Aberdeen yeah to where you are right now but like I, I, but the, pivot, the pivotal moment if that makes sense alright uh, okay so my, my journey from landing was um, was actually interesting because I landed with a bunch of other folks and we ended up, because there was no rooms, and we were given a cafeteria to be in. So we were all like eight immigrants in a cafeteria with beds on the floor, um, which now that I think about it, could never happen to any other group of people. Um, and there was no bathrooms, there was nothing. We had to go across the hall to go shower in somebody else's hall. Um, and we would have to carry our towels, and a lot of these guys didn't know that the weather was not the same, so they would <laughs> carry only the towel and come out in the cold with the towel, trying to run across. Yeah, I was like, it's not even just that; like, you just look weird carrying, the, running across with a giant towel. Like all the other students are like, "What's wrong with this guy?" Um, but I, I think that was a good reminder that look, things are different here, right? Mm. Um, when I joined. Um, I actually started in the care industry here. So I, I walked in, when, when I was a student, um, I didn't know what care was. Um, so I had a company called Aberdeen Social Care Professionals come in. And in my head, oh, I studied psychology, my first degree is in psychology, um, that, oh, they, they need me to use my psychology degree to work in care. So I was like excited, I get to use my degree. It wasn't a waste, you know, in Nigeria, if you're not a banker, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, you didn't go to school. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I get to use it, you know, and they told me it would be a waste, it's not. Um, and I, I, and I, I took the job in care um, and I walked with about 300 different, 300 plus people across maybe some, 30 different homes um, and, and it's not just homes I walked in like people with substance abuse I walked with the police I walked with um, people with violent behaviors mm -hmm. I walked with um, day, day centers like it was quite a wide variety of spaces I was involved in um, so that was that was the beginning of my life here and fast forward that a year after 
I was talking to this, and we talk about pivotal moments. Yeah, sorry, and this was at 23. This was at 22, there about, yeah. Yeah. So I was talking to this guy. um, So I'd finished uni. um, I was still in care because there was no work yet then. I'd applied to about 250 jobs plus. And I know it's 250 jobs plus because I had an email that that's all I did with the email. (laughs) And I had a rejection box where I kept every rejection just so I don't reapply to the same role. Mm. (laughs) So I would check before I applied. Um, and I'd been rejected from pretty much everything. I'd done graduate schemes. I'd gotten to the last three of graduate schemes. I can mention names of companies, but we won't do that. Um, got into the last three several times or last one. And just it just never happened. I'd driven across to England, um, gotten there at like one o'clock in the morning, done my assessment center, um, finished at about um, four in the evening and driven back to Scotland um, oh. and still didn't get the job like with my own money as well <laughs> like the money from care like, it wasn't like we were earning crazy money then as well um, but anyway fast forward all of this stress and all of that what, one of the moments that made me change my attitude and change what I was doing was um, I met this guy and he doesn't realise what he did for me it, um, and he had been working in care for the last six years and he finished from University of Aberdeen. He studied the exact same degree. So I was confused. I was asking him, like, is this really what you wanted to do? And he said, no, this isn't what he wanted to do. He came in and then um, his wife came in and then he, she got pregnant. They had kids. And this is where he's been since. And it kind of got me thinking that I don't want that story. Um I, don't, I just don't like that's just not nothing against him i'm happy for him if he wasn't happy but i'm happy for him that he's at least able to earn him a living and I, I don't look down on anyone in care but it just wasn't for me um and i remember thinking to myself something needs to change so i had spoken to my girlfriend at the time i was like listen if we stay in aberdeen we will either get depressed because people were turning suicidal at that time depression was everywhere like significant depression across um, and that's another thing as well that we don't do particularly well in the black in the black area um, of society, which is dealing with mental health. But just it's almost like we're not supposed to have it. Um, but anyway, that's a separate one. So we made a decision at the time that we're going to save money for the next six months, and then six months after um, we would move out and we'd move to a different city. We picked Edinburgh at the time, so it was a lot of you know. You know, Tesco value, you know, a lot of, you know, Morrison's Smart Price or whatever they are, mm. that brand equivalent is, I think it's as a Smart Price. And uh, whatever the equivalent is, there's a lot of that for a long period. Um, and we made the move to, to Edinburgh to just, and the decision then was we needed to be able to pay rent for six months while we looked for a job because we had finally realized that gotcha. getting a job was a job in itself. Mm. Um so that so that that was one of the big ones, um, and I remember like I mean I can tell this story for days, right? Um, um, and I, I remember because the stories people see the VP and they don't know the story before that, right? <laughs> um, and I remember because we we did get to the last like I I did anyway. Um, I got to the last maybe two pounds before I found the job. Like I was that broke. I was I had nothing left. Like I had gone. I'd done flyers on the road. Um, for ten pounds for the whole trip, you know, I'd mm. you know washed toilets, I'd washed bars, like I'd I'd done everything, and I was like, nah. And that was meant to be like the side gig while you're looking for a professional job. And I remember like I'd gotten hungry, I'd gotten like I got into the point where I was like, man, I, I think Nigeria is not looking that bad. <laughs> it's not looking that bad, or maybe care is not looking that bad. Maybe I should look for care in this 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 Um and. 
I got to a point where I said, I need to make a decision. And so for me, I fell back on religion. So I, I grew up as a Christian, even though my, my dad's a Muslim. Um, I fell back on religion. I was like, man, God, it's me and you. I'm going to fast until. <laughs> and that was the decision I made then. I was like, I'm fasting until I get a job. Really? I was like, if we're, if we're on this, if I'm skin and bones in two years, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> I'm fasting until I get a job. And this wasn't like fast where you like just starve yourself. It was like, you know, actually read the scripture and all of that. So I, and religion is a massive part from, of my life as well, right? Um, and so I made that decision that I was going to fast. And a few weeks after the fast, it wasn't like immediately, like a few weeks after. I'd lost about 13 kilos in like three weeks or something Whoa. anyway. Um, I was like, I was going to, um, I was watching, a, I'd applied for a job and they had called me back and said, come for an assessment, you know, and like it's been a while since I've done any form of assessment. I went online, I read about um, assessment. Um, I was like, let me practice whatever I find online. Turns out that on the day of the assessment, that's exactly what came out. So like literally word for word, full stop for full stop, everything. And I was convinced. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is my job. I've got this word, man. It's me. It's me. God, God has turned up, you know. And I, and I got the result from the assessment and I failed it. Oh. And I was like, I don't understand. I knew the questions. I knew the answers. <laughs> I wrote the questions. I wrote the answers because the, the online version actually provides the answers as well. Um, so it's like I couldn't possibly have missed this. Um, and I vexed and I was like, man, you know, there, there's no God. You know, mm. I vexed. I was so mad. Um, and I remember feeling guilty because this happened on a Friday. And I remember feeling like I'd come down on Saturday and feeling like, man, nah, just this small hiccup. And then all of a sudden mm. there's no God. Um, and I remember going back to this and thinking, okay, you know what? There, I need to go back into this prayer and fasting, right? And I went back again on Saturday. And then on Monday I got a phone call. I got a phone call from the company saying, for some reason, the guy on Saturday, you know, turned down the job. Um, and um, they wanted to offer me the job that, can I start next week? And I was like, I can't start now. <laughs> They're talking about next week. I, I was like, what are you talking about? What, what am I doing now? Just give me, give me, give me 10 minutes, shower, wear clothes. I'll be in your office. <laughs> right? uh, so, so yeah, yeah. So that was that was my and and I got the job because I worked in care actually because I was a quality assurance manager for for a firm, and I was looking after care homes across um, three different care homes across Scotland. Um, gotcha. And so that was one of, one of my first main jobs, at least in the UK anyway. Um, and I kept thinking that actually the reason why I got this job is because I worked in care. Um, mm -hmm. And I spoke to the the chief exec, who is actually the owner. And what he said was that because during the interview, I said, in order to keep in touch with what's going on on the floor, I would volunteer to work a day a week, uh, sorry, a day a month as an actual carer. So I, because I'm, I'm, my responsibility was making sure they passed the care commission of care inspections. Um, I'm making sure they, all, they, they passed the four checks that they used to have then. So that was one of the, one of the first ones. Um, and the other move I made, I decided I wanted to do a doctorate degree because I used to have this thing in my head. You know, when you conquer one mountain, you're like, I can go for any mountain. Mm -hmm. So after that stuff that happened when I was much younger, I was like, I wanted to have a doctorate degree before I was 25. Um, actually, it started from before I was 24, but I was like, no, nah, before I'm 25, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> let's be real. I mean, it's not, it wasn't unattainable because I was, what, 20 when I finished uni or so. Um, so it wasn't like an unattainable goal to, mm. to get it. So I was like, oh, yeah, let's go for this now. I, I started, the, uh, that's actually what brought me to Glasgow. 
Um, so I, I, jo- I studied a doctorate degree at the University of Glasgow um, and I was passionate about that. And then I got a job with um, Aviva. Wait, so so um, um, this was, you had this quality assurance manager role and you started the doctorate while you had that? Yes. So sorry. as was a part-time? No, so I left, the, I actually okay. left the quality <laughs> assurance role because it wasn't really what I wanted to do, but I knew that when you break out, you break out, like mm-hmm. once you get your first professional job, that's usually the, that's usually the beginning of, of an actual career mm-hmm. um, because you stop having the thing that you get across that most of us get, which is no UK work experience. Mm-hmm. That stops being a thing because no one can say that to you anymore. And, and it's not just no UK work experience, no professional UK work experience because obviously I had UK work experience. Um, so I was like, oh, with a doctorate, it improves my chances, you know, and then there was visa as well. And then if you had a doctorate as well, you didn't actually need any of the money that they were looking for. So that was that was the plan then. Um, and then I got a job at Aviva and I kind of let the doctorate go because when I started, I was really passionate about what I wanted to do. And then I realized I didn't really care. I just, what was the doctorate in? So it was, a, it was an emotional psycho, emotional intelligence. It was an emotional gotcha. intelligence and effective gotcha. management. It was a cross between organizational psychology and business. Gotcha. So basically my undergraduate and my master's degree was cross between the two of them. And what, what I did was instead, um, you'd get two postgraduate degrees if you do two years. So I got two postgraduate, two additional postgraduate degrees as well um, instead. So hence why, you know, I have three now. Um, but I kind of lost interest in gotcha. it. Gotcha. That explains why you're linked in the like five or six different... Like... Uh, there's a couple of like, prof- <laughs> there's a couple of professional qualifications. MBAP something, MBCA, MBA. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay. So there are a couple of professional qualifications as well. But part of what I do every year, which is part of my development, and I think this is why I talk about my mom being one of the inspirational people, is because the capacity to learn is something that we shouldn't take for granted or the willingness to learn. So part of my goal every year is to, I always pick three things every year. At the start of every year, uh, all my managers know this. Um, one of them is actually two are professional goals, um, something I know nothing about, something I'm just like not great at. One of them is always like personal, soft skill. Mm. And this year I picked four. Um, and one of them is always soft skill. But yeah, that's usually how it goes for me. Hence why it seems like I'm, because I'm, I'm in between another professional qualification now. Um, but that's why I, that's why it seems like I'm acquiring them <laughs> because it's 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 a personal thing for me that I now understand the correlation between skills earning and actually just competence. Gotcha. Um, so which wasn't something I knew when I was young. I wish somebody mm-hmm. explained that to me properly. Um or even explain that to even a lot of black folks I talk to today, like explain that to you too much actually. We'll, we'll get back to your story, but explain that relationship between skill, competence, and um, earning. Yeah. So for me, I realized quite early that the more I know, the more I'm able to actually do. And I'm not just talking about theoretical knowledge, I'm talking about practical knowledge. So as an example, when we talk about um, website development. So a couple of years ago, uh, a really good friend of mine, um, after my undergrad committed suicide, unfortunately. Um, and I don't really know, there's a lot of speculation about what happened, why she did it. You know how Lagos is like, everybody has their own version of what happened. The truth is none of us really know. And I got this feeling that we should do something different. And so I wanted to do something different. So I, I wanted to build a website where people can 
talk about their stories and people can share their experiences, talk about something that's troubling them and actually connect with people that have been through it and have come out of it because that was my understanding of how to help people because people weren't going to psychologists in Lagos. Mm -hmm. They were going to their pastors, they were going to their imams, they were going to people that were not equipped they're going to be without making them making them feel guilty, like feeling bad, like it's like you've committed a sin, the reason why you're in this space, right? It was like, even if that's the least I can do, even if that's the only legacy I have, uh, let's do that. And I spoke to somebody then, and I wanted to learn, um, so I spoke to somebody about building the website, and the guy said to me, oh, he charged me 4,000 pounds to build the website. And in my head, immediately, I just it just connected, like it just took me back to that high school days, and I was like, can't be that hard. Like, was like, it can't be that hard to build a website. Like, it just cannot be. Um, so I went online. And I was like, how do you, literally, how do you build a website step by step? And I literally followed step by step, built a website. It, um, and I built the website. And it actually, at, at its peak, it had about 600 plus active users. But I shut it down just now because I realized it's probably more efficient way and slightly irresponsible to do it that way. Mm. So there's a bunch of other reasons why as well. Um, but what that did for me was because I built the website, I've actually now been able to monetize that and build websites for people. But I actually built a framework. So I built the University of Edinburgh's digital skills framework and I actually built the website as well, which mm -hmm. is something I would not have been able to do um, before that. And so just from learning that skill, I was able to get a contract with the University of Edinburgh to not just build a framework, like not just design a framework and then hand it over to a tech person to build but to build it, to do the UX for it, uh, sure. to do the whole piece of it. And I was paid really well. So so I was I was paid really well because it was a it was a day rate contract as well. And it was under my own limited liability company. It was a two-year contract um as well. So and I've been able to use that skill multiple times in earnings. As a matter of fact, I ran a side business where I was just hosting people's websites. It wasn't costing me anything. Mm. Um and in some cases I'd build and hosted for them. Um and I ran that for five years just as like side money. Um, and so there is, for me, a direct correlation between that. And I can talk about like many different examples of where mm. I've picked up a skill. My my career in learning and development as well. I remember the, the, there's this mistake people make and they say that, you know, just because you're good at a job, so because, you know, you're, you're a fantastic software engineer, that means you are going to be an, an amazing software engineering trainer. Like, not not, not really. <laughs> it's a different skill set to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and so, because I was really good at my job in Aviva then, I was asked to join the L&D team because I was about to quit. And so the manager at the time said to me, like, why don't you teach people? And I was like, well, teach people. But I'd learned that you don't take anybody else's career for granted. There's a reason why you are a specialist in it. But there was no formal teaching that was being provided. Mm -hmm. So I actually bought books. I would go online, I'd watch videos about voice projection, how to actually design training, how to look at, uh, what to look at, look out for, how to read the room, um, how to understand when someone is not following your train of thoughts and pull them back, you know, how to set your expectations or why you should set your expectations and what the training piece should look like. I went and I paid for e-learning courses and learned how to you know, design e-learning courses oh. as well. So again, this is that acquiring skills. Yeah. Hence why you will see a bunch of random qualifications, right? <laughs> um, but it all served the purpose. None of them was for the sake of it. So I don't, I don't pick up, I'm not going to pick up dentistry as an example, <laughs> right? Um, I'm going to pick up something that's relevant to what I'm actually doing, something that improves something gotcha. I'm actually okay. doing right now. Um, and every time I've done this for me, it's improved my wage. So my salary has gone up um, significantly since 
Like if I even think, not even now, because it's not this is not the highest I've earned. Um, but it's gone up significantly from where I was when I'm talking about like care. Yeah, mm. like I'm talking about within the span of five years. Gotcha. I, I, yeah. And it's not just gone up. Um, it's gone up about twelve times. Whoa. Um, so it's it's not gone up like oh hundred percent, two hundred percent, because there's a couple of things you learn along the way that you're like oh that's how you make money. <laughs> right oh right okay cool um and part of it looks like putting yourself in uncomfortable learning situations because you will be lost when you know nothing about a thing at the, at the start mm, okay so let's go back to um this doctorate degree thing yeah. and then you had gotten two degrees after you had done two years and gotten two degrees after that what, what, what happened next for you yeah so for me after that um i had gone on and i think i told a bit about the story here so i'd gone on um to aviva and i joined the lnd team gotcha. so i'm going to skip all that part now um so i started my career there again um and this is something i loved i absolutely loved it because i got to meet everybody that came inside it was hectic i was training every single day for about four years mm-hmm. and like consistently it wasn't like oh some days you're off now it was, it was consistent um and after a while i was looking after the training team just before i left um which was a bit of fun um and then i started my own con- my own private consultancy business um as well and i worked with like the department of works and pensions i worked with quite a few organiz- i mentioned university of edinburgh i worked with um, scottish social services council um and a few other organizations as well so uh, along the way so my career kind of went in that space of and what it allowed me to do was it wasn't just learning and development anymore i was working in workforce strategy i was working on organizational <laughs> design and organizational development i started to to specialize in different other areas as well i started to do e-learning and i mentioned a bit about that as well and we all, all this we are self-taught all of it everything was self-taught like i invested significant even till date um my manager makes fun of me because of this because uh, i'm always sending the i'm always sending a, a, a group like lots of stuff to read and like mm. nobody's reading this <laughs> <laughs> and lots of videos and stuff i invest a significant amount of time in learning because for me competence um builds confidence mm, i like that competence builds confidence mm. yeah so yeah, so that that that's a large part of the story, and um, eventually, when I was looking for a role, um, I obviously ended up um, with J.P. Morgan, um, and um, with, I ended up with the firm. But actually, funny enough, I'd gotten to a point in my career where I'd stopped applying for jobs. Hmm. So I got into a point in my career where actually companies started to reach out, um, which I think was brilliant because again, I think of the story or the version of two fifty applications. Nobody's asking. Mm. <laughs> no, everyone's turning you down to the point in which you now get to choose. So when when the firm actually reached out to me, I actually turned them down. Um, and in fairness, it's it's nothing to do with them. It's, it's the noise I hear outside about all these other so-called mm. big, big, big banking, big finance firms and how like they'll pay you well, but they will take the money out of your life. And I was mm. like, nah, man, there's easier ways to make money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't interested, but also I, at the time I had three job offers and I wanted, I was trying to figure out who to turn down. And so adding another conversation at the start of the conversation was just not of interest. Mm. Um, but I, I, I took the time, I listened to the recruitment lady, she was persistent. Um, so I did listen to her. I got a chance to speak to my manager at the time. You know, she was a lovely person. Um, I got a chance to speak to the MD. I understood what the vision of what they were trying to build was. And it was by far, by far the most exciting project mm-hmm. that was going on. Maybe something else came close, but that was by far the most exciting. So yeah, that's a bit of how we ended up here. Right, okay. So 
when you look back at this journey, this was over how many years? It feels like it took forever, but it didn't. Um, so it depends. Like if you say the journey, do you mean between when you end really, really well versus when you were in care? Or do you mean till date? Yeah, no, so I mean from when you um, finished uni and yeah. looking for jobs. It's 150 plus applications yeah. until... Until the first professional job. Yes. It felt like forever I took a year. Gotcha. And, okay. Yeah. So when you look back on your journey from now till that period, what sort of, um, for lack of a better word, like values or skills or... Um, Value of skills, would you say, were valuable in your transitioning to where you are today? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, number, one, number one for me is people. Um, people by people. It's people skills. Um, there's a saying, like, they say nobody cares what you know until they know that you care, right? It's very true. Like, you can be the most brilliant person out there. You can be the most amazing human being. If you are not a genuinely nice person, mm. no one cares. <laughs> like, no one cares what you know. Um. So one of the biggest things for me is to understand that um, and understand how people uh, just spend some time trying to understand. So even when I get new roles, the first the first month, even in my present role, I said this to my manager, that the first month, two months, three months, I just want to understand my team. I have no other priority. I understand, oh, yeah, yeah, we have all these work things to do. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. We'll get there. Um, I, I, I see work differently. Um, I found that what tends to take some people... I don't know, months, sometimes it just takes me days. Mm. Um, so I see, I see work very differently. But I understand the importance of relationship. I understand the importance of not just relationship, but where you're at and using your platform to create another platform for others or a ladder for others to actually grow as well. Mm. So that's probably the biggest part for me. Um, I also really believe in my own skill set. But it's not from a place of ego. It's from a place of graft and from a place of spending hours actually learning testing trialing you know we talk about website design i lost track of how many hours i actually spent trying mm-hmm. to figure stuff out how many times i broke a website right? <laughs> uh, you know i lost track of it like i must have spent thousands of hours just like you know do this and it didn't work and you tried this it didn't work you tried this it didn't work and like okay no that's not how you do that um to the point in which we have a giant santa in the house now where we bring out every christmas um, so one of these dancing Santas from the US. Somebody actually paid me that for mm. fixing a problem with his website. Wow. Um, that was that was the payment I got. He shipped it from the US instead because I didn't want to take money. Mm. Um, and I know I know how long that actually took. So this the version of event is not um, one of oh this person is competent or just confident. It's no this person spent a ridiculous number of hours um, to build the skill set he has. Right, so competence and then people skills. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think for me, like, I also, it's not really a skill, but I also appreciate timing and luck as well. Mm. Um, because I don't think every single thing that has happened to me has been because I did X, Y, and Z. Gotcha. And I, and I think it's a mistake to preach to somebody and say oh because you did this five steps you know this 10 steps or this seven there's always seven steps isn't it? seven steps to success seven keys <laughs> seven, seven keys or something. <laughs> like one of those numbers right i don't think it's right um to preach that to anybody because the reality is 
there isn't such a thing. And also what you do is if people follow the steps and they don't achieve the same yeah. thing, they feel inadequate and mm -hmm. they really shouldn't. Their journey just looks different. So I think I've, I appreciate the amount of my life that is absolute luck mm -hmm. and just absolute chance and just absolute circumstances. Like, gotcha. um, yeah. Okay. Let's talk a bit about below times, right? So, um, you've grown higher and higher in your, in your career, but then there are times of rejection. There are times Absolutely. where you had very little, you said two pounds or something. Yes. That's, yes, that's yes. No problem. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that, that that happened twice actually. <laughs> I didn't even tell you the full story. That happened twice. Yeah. Tell me about this actually, because I was going to ask what sort what sort of things kept you going through the hard times. Um. Right. Okay. So I got to a point where everything just went wrong. Like everything went wrong. Um, my partner and I were about to split up. Um, I was broke. Like everything just went wrong at the same time, and I was weeping. I was in tears. I phoned Nigeria and I was like. Mom, I don't know what's going on here. Oh. I don't know what I'm doing here anymore. Like, I don't know what the point of this is. My mom broke down in tears. I was like, that's not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that's not helpful. You're, you're meant to be encouraging me here. And then I had an uncle who was like a proper religious guy. And he would call me just to check up. He would pray with me and all that. Um, and I was, in a, I was in a really dark place for a really long, for quite some time as well. Like I couldn't see my left from my right. I didn't know what was going on. Like I, I think that's what depression looks like, mm. um, if I had to put a name on it. Um, and at the time, what actually got me through was, actually, to be honest, I think it was God and religion. And mm. I think that's actually when religion became even bigger for me as well. Um, because I would, I, I found myself after about a week of, praying and fasting and all of that actually starting to experience joy in the lack which mm. is something i didn't think was possible um i found myself happier and i found that just by being happier i started to attract the things i thought i lost gotcha and so even the relationship i thought well this is done now um actually changed as well then because i was technically different um and it's funny because it's one of those things that you read, you hear about it, you're like, oh, it's not true. It's not, it's not really. But it was for me. Um, so there, there was that part for me that just kind of helped me. Sorry. Yeah, so there, there was that part for me that kind of really helped me. I found my 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 partner at the time, um, she was really helpful as well. Um, kept me grounded, kept me distracted. Um because I found out when I moved to Glasgow, I was I was broke because I just moved to Glasgow as well. Um, and I wasn't broke, broke, but um, I had, I think I was short the amount of money I needed to pay for one month's rent. Oh. Um, and I found out that she paid it. She didn't even tell me. Um, but then she did that for me as well. Um, when I was in, when I was in, in, when I was finishing my master's degree, so she paid the last three grand of my tuition fees and didn't even tell me. Oh. Um, so I, I got back home and she just showed me. I mean, it was a loan, right? It wasn't free, but, <laughs> but still, mm -hmm. still, so, she, she a, I mean, she didn't have to, right? Sure. She was, she was a girlfriend then. She wasn't fiance or she wasn't wife or nothing, right? Um, and she didn't, she really didn't have to. Um, and she didn't just do that for me. She actually did that for one of my friends as well. Um, which he doesn't even know. He thinks it was me. He thinks it was us. Cause he was saying, so, I, I saw him recently, he was saying so to me. I was like, oh yeah, you know, you guys, I'd forgotten about it. I was like, man, it wasn't really me. <laughs> it wasn't really me. I was too broke to be helping anybody. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, so my family, my family was there for me. God was a massive part for me. Um, and there was a, we were raised to believe that you can learn anything and you, nobody has like whoever's like the world best sergeant doesn't have like 
two brains, mm. right? So we are raised to believe in ourselves. We're raised to not idealize anyone. Um, and so a huge part of this was a constant belief. And this has been true for my entire career because I have had points in my career where I've been told, no, don't pursue that because as an example, learning and development, or don't pursue a career in that because no one's going to understand you because you speak with an accent. I've been told that more than once. Really? Yeah, more than once. I mean, you're a trainer, you're speaking to people. And so, I, you know, I even by people that you care about. So there, there's um, the parts where you just need genuine belief in yourself that, you know, you'd be, you'd be absolutely fine. You smash this. Um, gotcha. And so that those three things have been what kept me, what kept me going. And I suppose hope. We... I mean, in Lagos, you'll be lost. I mean, like, as a Nigerian in general, if you don't have hope, oh my goodness, is that, what's going on there now? Mm. If you don't have hope, so that's just something we're born with these days. Like, you just, you, you see everything going astray and going wrong around you, and you just keep having hope. And I, and this is true in Lagos. I mean, I grew up in Ikorodu, right? And I don't, I don't know if you remember this happening in Nigeria at some point. There was this time where, like, there was a, big tribal fight and then um the houses and Yorubas and Maltua were fighting and they came in and they went into schools and they like massacred oh. lots of people. Um and I grew up near there. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, seeing that and, and knowing that well that could have been that could have yeah, been you, you know, and because it was even people on the woods and we we actually got turned around while it was happening because we were on the road when it started, sure. when it kicked off. And we had to go through a different state. We had to go through the state, like through the back to actually get into corridor to get back home the day after. Um, so growing up around that, I've still been positive. I've still been, yeah, it'll be all right. Mm. <laughs> it'll be all right. Um, you kind of need that. I think most Nigerians have that. Gotcha. What would you say you're most proud of so far in your life? In terms of your career and your journey in general? I think it's the people I've had an impact on, people that I've genuinely reached out to say thank you, the people that I've reached out to say, oh, this conversation, this thing, this has made an impact. Everything, for me, like, when it's all said and done, none of us are going to sit down and talk about, you know, doing retirement age. We're not going to brag about that, you know, I don't know, that thing you delivered for company x or that thing we vote for company y or that it has to be about relationship it has to be people you know it was like your boss saying that you know when the money finishes it's people are left mm. it has to be about people otherwise there's no point like there genuinely is no point um and so for me it's the times i've been privileged enough to have an impact in the life of somebody um and i and i use the word privilege deliberately because they don't have to because i count it as joy like it's something that drives me something that i think it gives you purpose as well. Like, oh, I was in this position for X, Y, and Z. And in this position, I made this difference. And that mm. difference has gone long term. It's outlived me, you know. Oh, it's 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 created a new direction for everybody else so that they can then pass this on or they can pass this forward. Um, that has to be it. Otherwise, what's, what's the point? <laughs> for sure. Right. What does that look like, though? <clears throat> like, in, in your definition, what what's... Um, definition of success such impact so I, I don't I think it's not necessarily like the way it looks like for me is always being there for people gotcha. like in the most okay. in the most literal sense and I mean this like everyone who's reached out to me on LinkedIn they can testify to this whether they are with the firm or they're not with the firm and they've said oh can we get five minutes or ten minutes of your time I've made time mm -hmm. oh can we jump on a video call I want to I've made the time like I've realized that 
before I tell I'm really busy, I'm really busy, but I wasn't. I was just being lazy. Like, like genuinely speaking, I will make the time if I can't make the time. And if not, we will we'll put something in. Like, what do you need? Like, if, if it's just like, oh, tell me about it, I'm happy to, as long as it's not intellectual property or something <laughs> you're asking for, right? Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation with pre- pretty much anyone um, about career experience, about, you know, how I got here, about, you know, what opportunities are around, you know, what they should be considering. Um, they're, like, I'm happy to do that. And that's what it looks like for me. It's just those simple things. Exactly. Um, just volunteering that time to just be there for someone because I wish I had it, right? When I was going through 250 jobs, I wish somebody explained to me that actually something as basic as your priority when you're applying for a job is not to get a job. It's actually to get an interview. Something as simple as that, mm. <laughs> right? Like that's what you're doing. That everything you're writing here. So if you and that changes your mindset because I think of it like dating, right? And I use this explanation all the time. Like when you first of all start dating, um, you are trying to attract somebody. So you try to look good, smell good. You know, have your hair shaved. You know, if you still have hair. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. For some lucky people, right? Uh, you know, um, have your have your hair shaved. Like all, all the all the things that you require. Um, and that's what your CV is. Your CV is a presentation of who you aspire to be or who you think you are. It's not necessarily everything. Your manager does want to get to know you. The firm does want to get to know you. They don't need to know you all at once, right? Mm. And that's the reality. And it's the same with the CV. You know, you're not going to write the worst thing you've ever done sure. in your life, right? And that's exactly... And if somebody had just told me that, that would have changed my mindset. That would have changed how I was applying. If somebody had told me it's not a numbers game. If somebody had explained how interviews work, if somebody had taken the time to explain to me that just because you applied to 15 jobs doesn't mean you actually applied to 15 jobs. Mm. Sometimes you've applied to 15 jobs and you've applied to really one job because all the other 14 jobs are actually agencies that have changed the name mm. and are actually trying to bid... So when you get 15 rejections, you didn't get 15 rejections. In some cases, none of them is actually the actual company hiring and they are taking CVs to go and bid. The company doesn't, the company never asked them to do it. Mm. Uh, so if somebody just explained that to me, I'll, it would have made life easier. It would have made the mental stress of rejection just not that bad. If somebody had taken time to explain competency-based interview, you know, the STAR principle as an example, and explain real, the real purpose of it, and not just telling me your situation, task, action, mm-hmm. result, like actually the details of it, how to write a CV. Um, and I've spent, like, I've done this as well for members of the public. So I worked, when I worked at DWP, I was working with people that were long-term self, uh, um, long-term unemployed. Okay. Um, some people, fourth-generation unemployed, um, never had a job. Their whole family told them. And we've gotten them into employment. We've gotten them into places of work. We've rewritten their CVs. I've had people who have been sending a CV for the past, you know, eight years, but actually never checked the CV because the address on it was an address from 10 years ago. Phone number was a long time ago. I had one who had been uploading his CV to multiple job boards, was not tech literate. And when you look at the CV, it was a blank Word file. There's nothing on it. So he was wondering, why haven't I gotten a job for the last eight years? Well, you've not really sent a CV for the last eight years. <laughs> for one, the other one's like, well, even if you somebody wanted to hire you, what did they, how are they contacting you? The phone number's not yours. The address is not yours. Hopefully the name's still yours, <laughs> right? Um, and you see these little things that you're like, that is eight years of somebody trying to get a job. You just needed one person taking five minutes to have a look at yeah. the challenges facing. Like, if we all did that, how much of an impact would we make, right? For sure. And I, I think you're definitely right. This idea of, I think sometimes people think of impact and success as some, like, huge, like, 
thing that you've done as most likely companies like a charity but having conversations with people sharing your experiences um sharing the lessons you've learned can go a long way shaping yeah. other people's lives anyway one last question this segment before we move to the final segment would you do anything differently absolutely I'm not one of those people that looks back and says, oh, no, as long as the journey got me here, I'm at, nah. <laughs> Tell me. Nah. <laughs> no way. There's too many years wasted, right? There were too many years wasted. I wish I believed in myself a bit more. I wish I had more conversations with people that were more enlightened than me. I wish I got out of my comfort zone. I wish I didn't let my ego drive me when I was younger and think to myself, oh, if I figure it out, I don't want anybody to be part of my story. There's nothing to be ashamed of if somebody's part of your story. There's nothing to be ashamed of if someone is even the lead character in your story. As long as you get to your destination, I wish I was more focused on outcomes over output. Oh, I'm, I'm sending 50 applications. I'm sending 600 applications. No, no, no. I've sent three and they're really good, high quality applications that will give me an interview, right? I wish I started to do trend analysis a lot quicker that, okay, what are the types of roles that actually we get responses from? Well, if you apply directly to a company, you're more likely to get a response than if you apply to an agency. It's not rocket science. If the job is out there in an agency, the company has advertised it as well. There are very few jobs that only the agency has exclusive rights. And they mention it, by the way, that they have exclusive rights to this particular mm -hmm. firm. So, yeah, you can apply directly. as much. They're more likely to even take you because then they don't have to pay yeah. agency fees. Um, so I, there's, there's a bunch of things I wish I had invested time in learning. Um, and I've learned the power of knowledge, but I've also learned that no knowledge is absolute. Um, and I, I mean this in the the best way possible. And I think about this across like life where we, we there was a time where doctors were recommending cigarettes to pregnant women. Mm. Right? There was a time when they were recommending alcohol as well. Like there's a bunch of things that science will be ashamed of today. You know, lobotomy was one of them, right? Mm. <laughs> right? But that was that was that was good science then, right? It was it was the right science. Complete nonsense though, but it was the right science. So mm. I've learned that even when we talk about like something being the way it's done. Um, there are very few there are very few absolutes there are mm. very few absolute theories out there there are not that many I mean maybe gravity and stuff like that but there are not that many especially when it comes to social science people personality sociological type um, knowledge it's just not an absolute um, mm. so there's a lot I would there's a there's a lot I would change I would change my reaction I would change how I reacted in certain scenarios because I've learned over the years that I'm that is the only thing I was actually in control of. I wasn't in control of anything else except me. Mm. And so my responses would look different. My reaction would look different. I would learn to be a bit more, comp not comprehensive, to be a bit more articulate in speech because that's something I had to unlearn. So we're, we can be quite emotional in, in Nigeria. We can, you know, you're upset with somebody um, and what you're trying to say is like, as an example, I don't know, like, you want to spend more time with a partner. And instead of just saying, oh, I want to spend more time with you, you go, why are you always doing that? Why are you always going away from me? When I, you know, stuff like that. They're like, you know what, just, just be articulate and just say what you want. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, but the biggest one for me is I would change my mindset and learn that vulnerability is not weakness mm -hmm. and that vulnerability is a strength. And that being vulnerable is probably one of the purest, truest versions of ourselves mm. because we are authentically ourselves when we're vulnerable. You shouldn't be vulnerable with everyone, right? But it's 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 a powerful tool, and it's about uh, understanding, appreciating, and learning how to actually utilize that mm. to become a more whole person. Um, sure. So, so that there are there are a few things I would do differently. The journey, 
It's like the Israelite journey. The journey didn't need to be this hard. Gotcha. It just didn't. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry, I said one more question, but I'm going to change that. I have our question now that yeah. I've heard you say that. What do you want your legacy to be? I think for me, my legacy has to be the people I left behind. It has to be the impact I made. I've counted a failure if my kids hate me. I counted the failure of my wife hates me. I counted the failure if I go into a company and I achieve absolutely every single thing and my team can't stand me. Like I genuinely like this is something that really gets to me. It's it's not just talk for me. It's like it's it's really gets to me. Um and I don't I don't see this so that, you know, like I'm dependent on people's approval. That's not really what I mean. What I mean by this is that I genuinely give everything and I genuinely couldn't have done anything differently because that's mm. the only part I'm in control of. Now, if people still don't like you after you've done that, well, you, you did everything. That's absolutely fine yeah. for me, right? That's, I'm I'm cool with that, right? Um, and I think that's, that's the part for me that that has to be for me that I, I genuinely tried my best mm. it, to make a difference in the life of everybody I met. Not, not, I don't, I don't subscribe to this idea that, you know, oh, look after yourself only, you know, this mm. slightly selfish narrative that is going on out there, right? If you have kids, what are you talking about? Like, you look after them first. If you have a partner, like every version of ourself that has a title is a service title, For right? Sure. So when I think about this, I think like husband, that's, that's service. A wife, that's service. A father, that's service. Employer, employee, like every version, like, you know, pastor, iman, like everything that has a title is a service. And if you can't wrap your head around the idea that you have multiple titles and you can actually be really good at some and really bad at some, you can be an amazing husband and a terrible father or a terrible, mm. like, or an amazing father and a terrible husband, right? You can, you can actually do, do both really badly or do one better than the mm. other. And they seem like they're related to some degree. Um, but anyway, I digressed a bit. But uh, as long as um, I know that I have done the best and in the capacity of whatever title I hold, mm. um, then I've, I'm I'm okay. I think that, that has to be it for me. Gotcha. All right, so final section now is more advice or, yeah, I'm advice. So I'm giving you a couple of scenarios of people that might be listening and I'd want to give you your thoughts to, to them based on your experience. Um, so... First category is the immigrants that have just come into the UK. There are some that are where you were several years ago, applying in you know jobs that they don't really enjoy doing. Um, you, you you've mentioned a couple of things already for sure in terms of getting your CV spread, the right network, etc., etc. What advice or encouragement would you give to someone in that position just now? So my 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 advice. Um, let, let me let me start with not, not even advice, just reality. So in my experience, what I've seen with every single person that's been in that position and every single person that's actually been dedicated to finding a job, it's not taking more than a year. Mm. But, and that's, this is without fail. Like it's not take. it feels like forever. It does. And I understand this. I understand that pain. Every day feels longer than, especially when you're broke. Whew. Every day feels longer than it should. Um, but it hasn't taken more than a year with someone who's dedicated to the cause. Do not do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Understand the stage you're at. If you're in a stage where you have just come in, your entire focus should be experience. Your focus is not long-term stay. You have three years to get there. 
it's, it's not about that right now. <laughs> um, if you understand that, then your direction is different. If you're focusing on experience, you're looking at roles, you're looking at companies, you're not looking at pay. You're just trying to you're like, look, I will survive on as little as I need to survive because I know that this is a short-term journey. Mm. This is a short piece. I just, I want to scale this quicker. That's the whole point, yeah. If you also understand that, then you know, if it's about experience, my CV serves a purpose, which is to get me interview. My Then when I get an interview, then I have a different purpose, which is to get me a job. Mm. Breaking things down into stages goes a long way. Also, for me, for almost every first-generation immigrant, keep your ego at the door, right? Mm. Keep your ego in check. Because every single one I've spoken to have somehow got, and this is not really their fault, this is a lie we've all been told, right? That if you get a master's degree, you're better than a good population, and so you deserve a top-paying job. No, you don't. A master's degree is a career-progressing degree. It implies that you already have a career. If you've already had a career and you get a master's degree, amazing, fantastic, then yeah, because you've built on the existing skills that you already have. Um, if you don't and you've come from, which is what most of us have done, which is come from undergrad and go straight into master's, then no, no, you're not entitled to anything. You have no reasonable work experience. So, like, you know, when we talk to people that are brand new from 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 uni, you can tell they have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, I, I've had some in, in incredible interviews where I've interviewed people and it's talked about like increasing the company sales by 45%. Like, really? You do know that we made eleven billion, right? Mm. Or you do you do know that the firm you're talking about made, you know, six hundred million. How are you responsible <laughs> for forty five percent of that? Clearly, you don't know what you're talking about, right? You know, you know, asking somebody something as basic as, "Oh, you were working on this project. What was the project name?" And they don't know the name of the project, and you're like, "You do know that almost every massive project has a name, right?" <laughs> right? <laughs> whether they call it project blue or project red like mm. it's just that big so keep your ego in check don't be afraid to learn learning isn't you should never be you should never be ashamed of learning i i am only as far as i've gotten because i've again because of love god and because i have made an effort to learn and i think this is the same with everybody if you ever get a job and you think you've arrived you haven't mm. um you you are learning throughout your entire career and so you you need to build that muscle Focus on transferable skills more than anything else. It has to be transferable skills because just because you studied X, Y, and Z, I studied psychology. I don't know. I mean, you could argue that I'm working in psychology, but not really. Mm. The best example I can use in this is my brother. So my brother studied um, biochemistry as an undergraduate. His master's degree, he has three masters. So his first one, he did computer science. Then he studied statistics and data mining. And then he did computational biology. And he doesn't use any single one of those degrees for anything today. Oh. Uh, so he works as a travel blogger. He makes way more money than I do. <laughs> right? Mm. Way more. Um, and, and there's a lesson there because if the focus is, and if you notice the skills are all very different, he's worked in PwC, he's worked in Bank of Scotland, he's worked in um, Goldman Sachs, he's worked in JP Morgan. And <laughs> the skills are all very different. And it's all about transferable skills for him. Like what can I actually use somewhere else um so i would say i would say to people that if you focus on the right things you understand the stages you're at you understand the stage you're at when you get to the next stage your next focus is on sponsorship your next stage is not salary do mm -hmm. not do not confuse the two things because your goal is different when you when you do that um it changes how you actually do things it changes the step by step um 
And also, if you can, don't just find a mentor, find a sponsor. Mm. Find someone who is actually pushing your story out there, who is actually trying to navigate waters for you, is having conversations on your behalf, is constantly thinking about you. Um, and don't think about that relationship as a one-way relationship. Think about it as a two-way relationship and how do you help mm. grow that person as well. Um, so yeah, that would be some of the things I'd say to anyone who's coming in here and obviously don't lose faith. It, it's really not. The idea that we're all coming here and everyone's only thinking about care saddens me. Like, at least as of right now, mm. it kind of saddens me, especially people that didn't come in for that, right? If you did, great. Um, if you came here and you studied, you know, cybersecurity, you, st- you were a software engineer yeah. and, and you were, you know, and that's all you're thinking about, then you're in the wrong conversations. Do not, the conversations changed significantly for me when I moved out of the care industry and I moved into a professional setting. For one, I met more professional people. The conversations we had were very different. Um, and, you know, this, the conversations went from people talking about going to drink on a Friday to people talking about how to make your child a millionaire by the time they're 18. Mm. Like, that's the vast difference in the conversations, right? Um, and so it's important to understand that as well. Mm. Okay. Maybe one or two more questions because um, that's time. The people that are listening are thinking, I want to help. I, I, I want to get involved in changing this narrative of post-generation immigrants or whatnot. Um, and you already mentioned simple things like giving time um, definitely help. What, what, what are those sort of like tips would you give to people that are actually looking to see how they can help other people grow in their careers um, through you know, the difficulties of day-to-day applications of jobs, the ups and downs of settings with different countries as a migrant, etc.? I'd say put yourself out there. I mean, one of the things you can do is you can be intentional. I believe in, there's something we subscribe to, my wife and I subscribed to a few years ago. So we, we actually heard it from a church broadcast. It's called Intentional Living. And what, what basically, and this is like one of those weird, you know, two words that just transforms your life. <laughs> and what it means for us or what it generally means is whatever outcome you're trying to get, be intentional about it. So if you really want to help, don't sit back and say, oh, I want to build a charity. I want to help, you know, homeless kids, you know, orphans or orphans or something. You know, actually say, what are the steps to actually do this? Mm-hmm. So I think about it from like the website development conversation. I was like, what does, what's required? Oh, I need to actually pay for hosting. I didn't know that. Oh, I need to actually, mm-hmm. you know, pay for security. I need to buy a domain name. Oh, how much is a domain name? Oh, you mean it's not for life? It's only for one year? Oh, I also need to consider that if I, if this website is really successful, somebody might still redirect traffic by using a similar domain name like i have to buy a bunch of domain names redirect them and all that like there's a bunch of things you're like what is the practical step of how this actually you know how i'll do this and very often it doesn't require money Mm. very often it requires skill set it requires you your time um again this is another example of i could have said oh i'm not going to help anybody i'm not going to try and build this website because it's four thousand pounds but no, when there's a will, there's a way. Right? Sure. You will figure this out. So if you really want to help, then start small and start fast. Fail quickly, fail often, but keep going. Keep going. Mm. Okay, so as we started this podcast, I asked you a question. And one of the things I asked you was, if your life was a book, what would the title be? Do you have any revisions to your answer now after um, narrating your experience so far? 
No, I mean, I said, I said it was, I, I said it was, I was going to call the, the underdog tales is what I was going to, uh, under, underdog tales. But the part of the reason why I can't even call it that is because I feel like there's a bit of an ego piece in there. Because like, were you really an underdog? I had advantages that lots of people didn't have. Mm-hmm. My parents were educated. My parents went to uni. My parents could afford to for me to go to uni. Right. I mean, they didn't pay for my master's degree. I paid for that through hustle and blood and sweat and tears, <laughs> right? And torn shoes and you know, eyes beaten shoes and like, I still like. It's funny. I have the I have shoes that I brought from like Nigeria from like you know several over a decade. I mean, almost two decades ago, right? Um, I, I still have those shoes. You know, I have be- the belt I had. The belt my father gave me. I still have it. Wow. I still have the. I mean, that, it was a solid. It's a solid belt. It looks brand new still. Um. um so I did have advantages compared to lots of people that come in and they don't have any. So the idea of being an underdog doesn't really sit right. Yeah. <laughs> it was I'm not an underdog in that real sense. Gotcha. Like I, I wasn't starting from village. Like mm. I grew up in the city. I didn't know it. I went to private school, right? So who am I kidding? Um, it doesn't change the struggle though. The struggle sure. is still the struggle, right? Sure. Um. I'm not. I'm not hundred percent sure what I'd call it. I I feel like my life is not as exciting as as enough for even for it to even be a book, right? So I'm not even sure what I'd call it. Nah, I, I couldn't possibly answer that honestly. I don't know. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Maybe in, if we have another episode, we'll, we'll ask again. <laughs> but I mean, this is this has been amazing. No. Thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been really amazing. Like just like hearing your story, um, seeing the people that did it, people tell you like your mom, yeah, um, family, the struggles, the ups and downs, and all I can say is definitely wish you all the best as well going forward. No, but thanks for having and, me. And, and thank you very well as well for the many ways. I mean, we we, we didn't talk about bold as all well for the what you've been doing there, but. Um, you know, in having worked with you for for a while, thank you very much for all the ways you've also like pushed for black representation, pushed pushed for um, ensuring that we have more success stories in the black community. And um, thank you very much for coming. Once again. No, thanks for having me, and thanks a lot for all the work you do as well in that space. I mean, I, I think it's we always talk about this. I could say one person succeeds, we all succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, the more people we can get, I I dream of a world where groups like that are not required anymore mm. right like it's not a thing anymore like we just don't have those conversations about oh we need black representation or we need black people who need this and we need no we're, we're there we're, we're everywhere we're part of the conversation or we need a you know anti-racist policies no it just isn't mm. <laughs> this just this is who we are now um i i dream of that world and even if i don't expect to achieve that in my lifetime I do hope that my kids achieve that in their lifetime, though. So, yeah. For but, sure. <laughs> Thanks, Darwin. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. If you like this episode, do us a massive favor and please subscribe, share, and give us a review. We'll be very keen to hear how it went for you. Until next time, please keep sharing your stories. Bye. <laughs>